This is Elder Peter Ristow. Welcome to this October 23rd, 2022 combined worship service with Veritas Church in Warrington, Virginia. The sermon this morning is given by Pastor Zach Ritz of Veritas Church, entitled, Thou Shalt Not Kill, from the Sermon on the Mount series, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. I pray that you'll be blessed by this message in every way. Hey, we'll be in uh, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. If not, we'll have it up on the screen for you. You know, I've really enjoyed preaching through the Gospel of Matthew thus far. It's, we've been able to see Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecies and scriptures. Even just the allusions to some Old Testament narratives have been so cool to discover. Matter of fact, the past couple weeks, I've felt really bad for you all. Really bad for you all because I spend hours in the text, studying the text, and I have hours worth of content that I could share with you of all the things that I learned, but then I've got to shrink it down to like 30 to 45 minutes, right? And I don't get to give you all the great things that I had studied throughout the week. This morning, however, I envy you because this entire week I have been convicted by this message, day in, day out, for hours on end. And for you all, hopefully not only this morning, but maybe the rest of your week, likewise, you'll be able to wrestle with what it is Jesus is preaching now in his sermon on the mount. You know, some may even say that this morning, I won't preach enough grace. I promise you, you've heard me just preach it, right? I believe in grace, just preach grace, saved by grace alone. But you know what? Today in our day, we don't have a grace problem. We've got a righteousness problem. And grace is not opposed to righteous living. And yet people say it's by grace and not by works. So I don't have to do a thing. I don't need to obey God in order to be saved. That's true. It's not by your righteous works, by the grace of God alone, free gift of God. And then they go on to say, I I don't need to be baptized in order to be saved. Remember the thief on the cross? True. But then they go on, I don't need to go to church in order to be saved. I don't need to love my neighbor in order to be saved. I believe in Jesus. That's it. I don't need anything else. But then what did Jesus say last week? Jesus in Matthew 5 verse 20. We saw Jesus say, for I tell you, to his disciples, those who believed in him and followed him, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness, your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that feel weighty, especially to any reformed people in the room? Does that not feel weighty? And you immediately have to try to make sense of this. And what we want to do is quickly run and hide from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Many actually reform say, this is too much for us to obey. We can't do it. He can't possibly expect us to obey this. We instead want the righteousness of Christ imputed to our account. And amen, me too. I don't want to stand before God on judgment day with anything other than the righteousness of Christ. 
But once we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to our account, our sin to him and his righteousness to us by grace, by faith, then what? Then what? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Is Jesus the only one that God wants obeying the law? It's true that in our own strength, it's impossible to obey the commands of God. I found that true even this week. Anyone else? But with God, all things are possible. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27 says this. It says, I will give you a new heart. Speaking of the, the new covenant that he is going to have with Israel. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone, that rebellious heart of yours, from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put, what kind of spirit? What is this new spirit that we'll have within us? By grace, through faith? God's spirit. He says, my spirit I will put within you. And my spirit, when it's within you, what's it going to do? Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what God in his spirit in us will do. Calls us to walk in his ways and walk in his commands. Grace is not opposed to righteous living. Grace causes us to obey. To obey both the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, both. <laughs> Right, The letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And Jesus is about to get into both the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 19 that we saw last week. Therefore, whoever relaxes, loosens up, goes easy on one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus then is about to show us how it's done. He's about to show us how it's done. He's going to obey the law. His righteousness will far exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, for they only obeyed the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. Jesus obeys both, and he teaches his disciples to do likewise. So in these uh, next six weeks, there'll be a lot of conviction going on, Right? Uh, so Warrington Bible Fellowship, all right, only this one last week, okay? Uh, but if you want to come back, right, uh, at least six more. He broken up in triads. The first three is murder. He says, thou shall not murder. It's the letter of the law. Thou shall not murder from Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments, right? Then next he says, thou shall not commit adultery. And then he teaches on it. Also from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Then he teaches on divorce, which comes from Deuteronomy 24. Then the next three that are grouped together, he teaches on swearing oaths. And that comes from Leviticus 19. He then teaches on uh, the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Uh, he teaches on that. That's Leviticus 24, verse 20. And then he teaches on how to love your neighbor. And that's also Leviticus 19. Why does he choose these six? I thought that myself. Why not just go right into the Ten Commandments and preach all ten and expound on all ten? He does two of those, but not all of them. I think the answer might be 
that these six were those that were being relaxed, if you will. We're being taught, you know, just the letter, not the spirit of it. And so he's going to correct the false teaching, false teaching of the day. And maybe not just for those six. Maybe those were the six he's going to use. Maybe there were many that they weren't getting right. Probably so, right? Maybe there are many that they weren't getting right. But these six would be helpful even to understand how to apply it to others. Both in their day that they were relaxing and maybe in our day as well. First up, though, is an easy one, right? Thou shalt not murder. I think everyone in here is good on that. I mean, we not, may not be the greatest of all saints, but at least we got the first one down. Thou shalt not murder. Well, perhaps we've obeyed the letter of the law, but so did the Pharisees. And Jesus is going to raise the bar. Matthew five twenty one through 26, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to to the hell, Gehenna, of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. First up is the letter of the law. The letter, you shall not murder. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And that comes up even in the rest with the spirit of the law. You'll be liable to judgment. Now that's true, liable to judgment if you would commit murder. That's true in Jesus' day. That's true in our day. You'll be liable to judgment. It is true also in the Old Testament, Levitical law. Likewise, liable to judgment. And the judge and, or jury would have to determine of what sort of murder is this, right? Even in our society, we got first-degree murder, which is murder, uh, premeditated murder with malicious intent, thought about it, knew what they were doing, sought to kill maliciously, and did so. And it was unlawful, right? That's first-degree murder. Unlawful, premeditated, with malicious intent. Second-degree murder is different than the first. It's also different in Leviticus, which all of our laws are based off of. Okay, come on. Uh, Leviticus likewise says is, is, that's different than second degree law, uh, murder. Second degree murder would be um, basically that I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to kill them. It wasn't premeditated, I, but I, it was malicious intent. I, I sought to do them bodily harm, but I, w I didn't mean to kill them. But in that malicious intent, it went further than I desired and they ended up dying. That's second degree murder. And we also have voluntary and involuntary manslaughter, 
right? Where you may not have premeditated to kill anybody, uh, may not have been malicious intent, but even you think about a drunk driver that gets in a car and just wasn't thinking at all and made a poor decision, didn't mean to kill anybody, but you know, had an accident and it did end up in people dying, they likewise murder. Now, why do I tell you this? I tell you this because even within the letter of the law, Leviticus itself says there are degrees. I mean, if you read Leviticus as it describes thou shalt not murder, right? Uh, you're going to get everything from like, if you're cutting down a tree and it falls on your neighbor, like, okay, that is part of the whole idea of, I didn't mean to kill this person, but I did. What now? What would be righteous judgment? So just again, realize this commandment, even just the letter of the law does not say you shall not kill, but you shall not murder. So government, right? Uh, the death penalty. The death penalty would not be murder, but they would say that is to take a life. What about a soldier? When a soldier kills another soldier, is that murder? No, but it is the killing and taking of another life. What about you're protecting yourself or your family? What if it's your life or their life? What if it's your family life or their life and you protect yourself or your family? Is that murder? No, but it is the taking, the killing of another life. These would be lawful homicides. Jesus comes back riding on a white horse. Ever read Revelation? Got a sword from his mouth. He kills an entire enemy army. Is that murder? No. It is just. So it's important that even with the letter of the law, we use proper judgment and the full counsel of God's word to help us understand what God permits and what God forbids. Jesus says, you've heard it said, now I say to you. Which means his commentary holds more authority than any scribe or rabbi that has ever taught on this commandment before. And he is likely correcting them because then he says, but I say to you, Jesus, and they marvel at his authority when he gets finished preaching the sermon, by the way, they marveled at how he preached because Jesus claims to have as much authority as the one who wrote it on the tablet of stone and gave it to Moses. But even now, Jesus, as he's preaching, he is writing his law on the tablets of their heart, which I pray he does this morning for us as well. You have both the letter of the law, the second we have the spirit of the law where he gets into everything from anger to insults and then even concludes with reconciliation. He goes further with the, the negatives, not angry, not insulting, but even the positive, be reconciled. That's Matthew five twenty two. follow along with me. He says, but I say to you, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says when you're angry, when we get angry with our brother or sister, we are liable to judgment. So when we get angry, one of the first things we're going to want to do is judge our anger, okay? When we get angry, first thing to do, speaking as one who gets angry, okay? Well, when you get angry, the first thing you're supposed to do, judge your anger. 
Quickly judge your anger and determine, first and foremost, is this righteous anger or is it not? Because is it a sin to be angry? Those of you who know the word of God, is it a sin to be angry? Right, because Jesus himself got angry, indignant even, with his disciples when they were forbidding the children to come to him. says he was angry at them. He was indignant with them. He says, no, let the little children come to me. And did Jesus sin? No. So he's not sinning being angry. Also, remember Jesus cleanses the temple? Remember the whole cleansing the temple scene? You don't usually see that one painted like on a picture in a church, right? <laughs> usually has like the little lamb, you know, pretty docile Jesus, right? Uh, but no, he, he flipped tables over, drove out the money changers, fashioned a whip. He was angry. The zeal of his father's house consumed him. Did he sin? No. So it's possible, as Paul says, to be angry and sin not. Be angry, but sin not. So when that anger starts flying and the uh, blood pressure begins rising, these are like, uh, what my pastor used to say, like uh, railroad crossings. Ding, 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 ding. Be careful how you proceed. Be careful how you proceed. If there is such a thing as righteous anger, we're also to make sure that we remain self-controlled. Because the, the anger of man does not always produce the righteousness of God, does it? No, we're to remain self-controlled. Jesus never just flew off the handle in rage. He never said something in anger that he regretted. He never did anything in his anger that he regretted. At the temple, he was angry. He fashioned, though, a whip. His anger was present, but he was under control. He knew what he was doing, and he drove them out of the temple. But he did not sin. He was angry, but he did not sin. Self-controlled always. Is it sin also to call someone a fool? Well, no. No. Uh, the, the word here for fool is moros. Yeah, that's right. Uh, our English word for moron or stupid or the Greek says foolish or call someone an idiot, right? Some of you use those terms endearingly, you know, to your friends. If we insult our brother, though, we are liable to judgment. So again, if you feel angry and that anger leads to an insult, we need to judge our words. Make sure that our words are righteous. Is it a sin to insult someone? <laughs> Another pastor says, uh, a gentleman never insults anyone by accident. <laughs> insults. Jesus insults the Pharisees. What does he call them? Whitewashed tomb? I don't think you put that on a Hallmark card, right? <laughs> you don't find that in like the Valentine's Day section. Your heart is a, a tomb of dead man's bones. No. Okay. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you to believe in this other gospel, which there is no other. Fool. The book of Proverbs is the comparison of the wise man and the fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, right? Constant comparison. 
So is it always a sin to call someone a fool? No. You can call someone a fool and be correct, calling something foolish and counseling others to avoid such people and such behavior. But again, be careful. I'm not loosing the law here. Don't think that's what I'm trying to do, nor what Jesus is trying to do. Be careful when you call someone a fool. You are liable to judgment. Jesus says you're liable to hellfire. That's a big deal. We should feel the weightiness of this commandment. We may not murder a person, but Jesus doesn't want us to have murderous hearts or use murderous words against our brothers and sisters. Remember my mom saying this all the time. Kids, maybe you guys can relate with me a little bit here. Did your mom ever tell you? She used to tell me all the time. She goes, it actually hurts me when you talk that way to your brother or sister. It actually hurts me, she would say, when I see you all fighting. Like actually fighting, not, you know, we wrestle. Kids, we wrestle. Okay, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean like when the wrestling goes too far and then we actually like really start getting into it with our brother or sister. That's what she says. She goes, no, when you're actually fighting, you say such nasty things to your brother or sister. You may not murder them, but the words that come out of your mouth, even the tone that you use is murderous. You would never say that to your friend at school. You never say that to your neighbor, but you say that to your brother and sister whom you love. And I think, brothers and sisters, God feels the same way. He is the most pro-life individual in all of the world. For he knitted us together in our mother's womb. And he doesn't want us tearing each other down. Right? In a murderous way. Joking's one thing, right? Joking's one thing. It's good to have that sort of relationship where you can joke like that, I think. But you know what I'm talking about though, right? Being murderous with one another. Hating one another in our hearts. Even to our spouses whom God loves. Welcome to the conviction I've been feeling all week. (laughs) as I watch not only myself get angry and say things I regret, right, but even see my family likewise. And I pray this week you would have eyes to see. Ask Jesus to show you. And if there be any reconciliation that needs to take place in our marriages or in our homes, let's be quick to do it. That's where he goes next, Matthew 23 through 26. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar... Right? For worship. This is both Judeo and Christian, I believe. And you there remember that your brother has something against you. I think Jesus is referring to a free will offering here on the altar. Just free will, you know? Just offering your gift, it says, on the altar. That's just a free will offering. It's not because you sinned or anything happened. It's just coming to the Lord to give him some praise, right? And offering an a Old Testament free will offering. We do that as well. The tithes, uh, I believe, it's actually just the offerings that we bring on a Sunday morning, are free will. Your free will, under no compulsion, right? Do you give unto the Lord with joy in your heart, right? So again, it's Judeo and also Christian, it's both. If you've come here to bring up an offering of praise, or if you've come here to bring your offerings and put them into the box, you know what? Leave it there on the table, Put it back in your pocket before the altar and go. First, Jesus says, first be reconciled to your brother and then 
Come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly, he says, with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and put you in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny that you owe your accuser. So, moral of that story, make things right with your accuser before you get to the judge. That's interesting. Before we meet Jesus face to face, reconcile with your brother or sister. Be reconciled. Before you meet with Jesus on a Sunday morning even, (laughs) be reconciled with your brother. Before, uh, we do a time of confession every week so we can confess to God and confess to one another our sins. Be reconciled with your brother or sister. Even for communion, Paul says, be reconciled with your brother or sister. Likewise, do not take it lest you take it in an unworthy manner. Be reconciled to one another. Don't take a meal that proclaims our unity in Christ when we're not unified and there's something going on. That's why I love the fact that we take communion every week and we confess every week to keep short accounts with God and with one another because sin has a way of getting in, doesn't it? The devil has a way of getting a foothold. Whenever I know it's different, it's like climbing, right? Uh, A foothold, but I always used to think of it like getting a foot in the door. Trying to shut him out, but uh, he got a foot in the door. I used to run after my brother to just, I mean, we would get so angry. This is when we're in, you know, sin here, right? And I would run after him and he would try to run to the bathroom because he was smaller than me, right? And he would try to quick lock the door, close it. But you know what I would do? Put my foot in the door. Then he couldn't close it. That's why I had that imagery that I have in my mind. Satan, if he can just get a foot in the door, right? He's like, I want to kill, steal, and destroy you and your family. Anger often gives the devil a foot in the door, which is why we cannot let even the sun go down on our anger. Brothers and sisters, I hope this morning uh, you've been convicted, but not in order that you might never be angry again altogether. No, brothers and sisters, there's, there's much going on in our, in our day and age that we should have righteous anger about. But that also means that we, especially in our day and age, need to have self-control. That's the thought that I'd like to leave you with. Hopefully it sticks with you all this week. The idea of advancing versus retreating as we think about dealing with our anger. Well, my pastor always used to say, uh, we would go on a men's retreat. And he goes, yeah, I know what it says on the handouts. Yeah, I know what it says on the title, men's retreat. But he was a Marine. He says, we don't retreat. He said, he said, we advance. He said, so he said, this is not a retreat. This is an advance. He goes, I want all of us to take an advance in our next step in our walk with Jesus. I want us all to take an advance in our marriages. I want us all to take an advance in the mission, uh, in our parenting. I want us all to take an advance in walking with Jesus in righteousness. I want us all to take an advance. It's not a retreat. I'm not retreating from the world. We're taking an advance. Just being trained up. <laughs> he came and preached for us early on at Veritas. He was barking and all sorts of things, yeah, as he was preaching. Brothers and sisters, how does that apply to what we're talking about? Anger can lead to murder. Anger can lead to unrighteous physical abuse. Anger can lead to unrighteous language and insults. 
Anger can even fester in your heart and make you hate the people that you're called to love. Let's not flatten out the law. Okay? Many have done that with this passage. They just flattened it out. They have said that uh, insulting me is the same thing as murdering me. I'd much rather you insult me, if you're wondering which to do. You can be hangry at me. You can even insult me. You write me a nasty email, right? That's okay. Don't murder me, right? And my family said, amen. It's different, isn't it? Both are sins. Both before a holy God will be punishable and they're damnable, but they're not exactly the same, okay? So let's not flatten it out. That's not what Jesus is trying to do here. One is greater than the other, but let's, let's draw back the line, okay? We all do that with me this week. Draw the line back. If for you, you get so angry, it gets physical. Draw the line back and just use words only. Even if they're terrible words. Gosh, at least it's words and not hands. Am I right? At least it's words. Draw the line back. Make a covenant and say, not with my hands, never again right? Then with your mouth, if you're the person that just, man, murderous, nasty stuff, maybe with your spouse or your children or whatever it might be, right? Make a covenant this week. Say, no more. I need to draw that line back. Better that you're just struggling with it in here, in your heart, and not say things that you regret. You can say some nasty things. Anyone ever had someone say some nasty things that's still with you today? You're like, man, that really hurt. That whole sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Wrong. Wrong. Let's draw that line back. Let's fight. Draw the line back. Make an advance. Make your anger have to retreat. It's hands. Move it back to words. Words. Move it back to heart. But then even those of you who say, well, I've never said anything, never did anything. I'm righteous. Well, in your heart, you know, dead man's bones, right? I mean, in your heart, you know, there's a lot of unrighteousness going on here. Let's move it back to here, Right? And let's judge our sin. Let's move the line back. Don't let anger destroy your family. Don't let anger destroy our church. There's forgiveness in Jesus. There's forgiveness here this morning. There is grace and where there is sin, his grace abounds all the more. So don't retreat, advance. Fight your anger this week. Do battle. Make your anger have to retreat. And let your self-control advance and grow. Be angry, but do not sin. Be meek, be strong, be powerful, but be under control. Be like Jesus. By his spirit, may our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees as we both obey the letter of the law and the spirit of it all to the glory of God. And brothers and sisters, if your struggle is not with anger, don't worry, next week is adultery and lust. Jesus is not attempting to just completely destroy us all with conviction. He's building his church. He's teaching us how to please the Father and be a light of the world and salt, right, of the earth. To be the sorts of men and women who will transform this world by the power of the gospel and his spirit-filled church. But before we can do that out there, we need to start in here. But let's advance and not retreat from this mission. Let us pray. 
Father God, we do, again, Lord, even if there were more sins that just popped up in our mind, God, we confess these to you and know that it is only the blood of Jesus and only by his righteousness that we can even talk to you and pray with you right now. So God, we thank you for his righteousness and ask for that righteousness to give us the power by your grace and your spirit, Lord, to draw back that line of sin which wants to get in and destroy our families and lives. God, I pray for all the families and marriages here this morning. Father, for the devil who has tried to get in, has a foothold or a foot in the door. God, I pray, Lord, that he'd be gone. They tell him to get out, that they would confess their sins even to one another and their marriages would be healed, their families be healed. Lord, as they confess that they are not perfect, but they are pursuing you. God, may your grace and your spirit fall fresh in all the families here this morning. And Father, I pray that even if we do have something against a brother or sister, that we would be reconciled and we wouldn't let another moment pass. In Jesus' name, amen.